that uh, you have made our Christmas Eve service a part of your family's celebration. Tomorrow, of course, is Christmas. And I'm sure of you, some of you have stressed out over getting gifts for those on your list, particularly those that are difficult to get gifts for. There are various reasons that come to mind as to why those people are hard to buy gifts for. Some of those people don't seem to need anything. They seem to have everything already. I remember my grandfather, <clears throat> seeing him after Christmas one year, opened up his Chester drawer, put a brand new shirt in with the five other brand new shirts he still had in his drawer from last year. He was one of those people that it was difficult to buy for. Sometimes it's because we don't know those people very well and we just really don't know what to get them. But what do you give to the one who not only has it all, but who made it all? Tonight, for just a few moments, I want to direct our thoughts to the subject of worshiping the king by looking at the gifts that the Magi brought to baby Jesus. Stories found in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Great legends and myths have grown up around these mysterious travelers. For example, from the biblical account, we can't be certain of the number of the Magi. Tradition says there were three men because they brought three different gifts. But there is as much reason to believe that there were half a dozen or a dozen or more of the wise men. As men of wealth, they probably traveled with a caravan of attendants. When they arrived in, in Jerusalem, we know that they created a sensation. Even Herod, the king, that old scoundrel, recognized them as men of great dignity and genuine distinction. We know that they came from the east, and we know that they were Gentiles by birth. The word wise man or wise men is literally magi. Herodias, a Greek historian of that period, describes the magi as a priestly class in what was then Persia, what is now Iran. They were active throughout Babylon during much of the Old Testament history. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament tells about their influence under King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon in the 6th century before Jesus was born. We also know that they were scholars by education. The ancient world made little distinction between superstition and science. The science of astrology or astronomy and the and the superstition of astrology were no, seen as no different, and the Magi were experts in both. They were considered the wise men, the scholars of their time. They were also politically powerful, since no Persian could become king unless he mastered the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi. They were not themselves kings, but they were the king makers of the Middle Eastern world. 
and their political and legal expertise resulted in the highest legal code in Medo-Persia during that time. In the books of Daniel and Esther in the Old Testament, their teaching is described as the law of the Medes and Persians. Our modern word magistrate is a direct descendant of the word magi. Daniel, the godly young Jewish prisoner of King Nebuchadnezzar was appointed chief of the Magi in Babylon because of his amazing wisdom, intuition, and knowledge that came from the Lord God. But at the heart of this account is worship. The submission and the adoration of the Magi for Jesus. For as soon as they arrived in Jerusalem, they they announced, we have come to worship him. In verse 9, we're told as they leave the, uh, the presence of King Herod, led by the star, the wise men make the seven-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And there they found the one that they had sought. Verse number 9 says, And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It's worthy of note that verse 11 says that they entered the house, not the stable. The family was no longer in the stable. These events, in fact, could have occurred as much as two years after the birth of Jesus, I think, for example, we can understand that Herod, in trying to kill the Christ child, had every child under the age of two killed, according to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16. So when they worshipped him, when they found him, they worshipped him. Verse 11 says, and when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The Magi acknowledged in their action the right of this child to reign and rule in their lives. Their worship was both spontaneous and joyful. First, they prostrate themselves before the baby king, and then they presented him with gifts of great material value, which also have great significance. This is certainly an amazing Christmas journey of wisdom. Pagan kingmakers with occult backgrounds offer themselves before baby Jesus. Yet they end up giving their lives to this baby Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote years later, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wise men finally found the true wisdom that they had been seeking. Ultimately, they found it in the Lord Jesus Christ. The tragedy of that time is that Herod, the king, and the chief priest, and the scribes, and the whole population of Jerusalem, for that matter, did not discover the treasure. And although they had the greatest advantage in terms of potential for the discovery, They refused to even investigate. In contrast, the Magi, who had the least spiritual advantage, 
searched and discovered and worshipped. The Anglican preacher of years past, J.C. Ryle, wrote of these men. He said, we read of no greater faith than this in all of the Bible. It is the faith that deserves to be placed side by side with that of the penitent thief. The thief saw one dying the death of a criminal and yet prayed to him and called him Lord. The wise men saw a newborn babe on the lap of a poor woman and yet worshipped him and confessed that he was the Christ. Verse 11 continues and says, And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says that when they found him, they presented unto him their gifts. And the word here is the word that is used in the Greek Old Testament for describing the religious sacrifices and offerings of the priest who brought them to God in the temple. Now I want you to note the three gifts that they brought and the significance of them. First, gold. Gold is the most precious metal known to mankind. And it has been the most common and appropriate symbol of royalty from the earliest of times. Not to be overlooked is the fact that the dishes and the vessels used in the temple were made of gold. And its primary significance refers to the service to God. The second gift was frankincense, an exotic and expensive perfume given to show love and honor And as such, it was another gift of kingly royalty. It was also used in the Jewish temple worship. For certain offerings, the priest would would sprinkle frankincense over that which was being offered to the Lord to add an aroma to the sacrifices. Frankincense was also used to anoint the priests themselves. The gift suggests that Jesus is more than a human king. He is the divine son of God. And the aroma of the frankincense represents all the prayers that ascended to God that were and would be answered by the coming of this child, this Christ child. And finally, the gift of myrrh. This introduces an ominous note into the celebration of worship because it was a curious gift for a newborn king. It was used a couple of different ways in biblical times. When mixed with wine, it could be used as an anesthetic. When Jesus hung on the cross, myrrh was mixed with wine and offered to him. Thus, the Magi's gift was a a whispered warning of the suffering and the death of this baby who was born to die for the sins of the world. It was a death that would be in fulfillment of the promise from the angel who spoke to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 saying, you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Myrrh was a Aramaic spice used in embalming the dead. In John chapter 19 and verse 39, we find 
Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea preparing the body of Jesus for burial by wrapping the body in linen along with 75 pounds of a mixture of aloes and myrrh. The gift of gold acknowledged the kingship of Christ. The gift of frankincense acknowledged the priestly ministry of Christ. The gift of myrrh acknowledged the sacrificial nature of Christ. These three gifts in combination testified to his royalty, his deity, and his death on the behalf of humanity. Which brings us back to the question that we began with. What can we give to the one who made it all? What can we give to the Savior? Let me just offer you a couple of suggestions. First of all, we can give him something from our heart. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God. Abel brings an animal and presents him as a sacrifice before God. Cain brings a portion of the first fruit of his harvest. God is pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's. Why? There are a lot of speculations. But I think that Hebrews chapter 11 makes it clear that Cain's problem, at least partially, was one of attitude. It may be that Abel gave with a desire to honor and worship God, and perhaps Cain gave out of sense of obligation. Whatever you do to honor Christ this Christmas, make sure it's from your heart, an honest desire to honor and worship the Lord. Secondly, you can give him something personal. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we encourage to give ourselves as a sacrifice pleasing to God. Now, obviously, we're not being told to kill ourselves. We're being asked to give ourselves. One of the best gifts that we can give to our children or to anyone for that matter is to give them our undivided attention Perhaps a similar gift would be appropriate for the Lord. Maybe you can give him more of your time this year. And third, give him something symbolic. In Matthew chapter 25, we're told that we show our love for Christ by how we treat our brothers and sisters. How what we do for the least of these, we do also for him. We show God's love when we treat those around us in a loving way. So maybe this year we could mend a quarrel. We could extend forgiveness. We could give someone a second chance. Or we could find a way to lift a burden. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we prepare our hearts to come to your table... We recognize the sacrifice that Jesus has made, that he came, yes, as a baby, and we celebrate that. He came and took on humanity, and he lived a life free of sin so that he might become our substitute and take our sins upon the cross and pay the penalty for them. We celebrate Father, the sacrifice that Jesus 
made tonight in this, the Lord's table. Prepare our hearts as we come to recognize not only what he has done, but what you did in allowing your only son to become that sacrifice for us. And may this be a part of our worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.